Hi, welcome to the StoryWorth podcast. We're glad you're here. I'm your host, Krista Baum, co-founder of StoryWorth. On this podcast, we feature true stories written by StoryWorth writers. If you're new to StoryWorth, we help people write their life stories, the big stories and the small ones. Once a week, we send our writers a question to help inspire their writing. They reply to the email with an answer or story that comes to mind. At the end of the year, we print what they've written into a beautiful keepsake book. Every story written using StoryWorth is private, but for this podcast, the writers volunteered to share their stories publicly with you. Today's story is a personal one, one woman's journey through the ups and downs of single motherhood. Janine Riley, the author of today's story, and her two sons are here to share their memories of the boy's childhood and Janine's life as a single working mother. But before we talk to her, we're going to hear Janine's story as read by voice actress Kristen Hoffman. As Janine answers the question, how has your life turned out differently than you imagined it would? How has my life turned out differently than I imagined? (laughs) Well, how much time do you have? I've experienced a lot of twists and turns over the course of my life. Some good, some bad, and some just plain challenging. But I've done my best, and I'd like to think that I at least got some good stories out of it in addition to two happy grown children, of course. So let's start with my early years. Like most girls growing up in the 1950s and 60s, I dreamed of getting married and starting a family. I figured I'd meet a boy, fall in love, get married, have kids, and live happily ever after. My dad, on the other hand, was a practical man. Knowing that things don't always go according to plan, he made sure each of his daughters received a college education to fall back on, If our daydreams crumbled, we'd be able to support ourselves. It was important to him that we attend a college outside our hometown for at least a year so that we could learn to manage money and become self-reliant. I chose to go to North Carolina State University in Raleigh with dreams of working as a ranger in one of our national parks. When I got to North Carolina State, I enjoyed the college experience and quickly grew my own social circle. But a lingering attachment to my high school sweetheart, we'll call him Chris, persuaded me to transfer after only one year. In my yearning to be with him, transferring to the College of William and Mary to finish my education much closer to home, and him, seemed to be the perfect antidote. But, and here's where things start to unravel a bit, William and Mary didn't have a national parks program, so I had to think fast and decide on a new degree. In a short-sighted move, I imagined myself as a teacher— Even my senior year student teaching experience told me that teaching was decidedly not a good fit. I graduated with a degree in elementary education, but apart from a few unpleasant experiences as a substitute teacher, I never did pursue that career. I did, however, marry Chris. Chris and I had met while attending the same high school in Williamsburg, Virginia. He was older, and we didn't have any classes together, but I saw him in the halls and developed the biggest crush on him. Whenever possible, I would walk out of my way between classes so I could pass him in the halls, hoping he would notice me. Sometimes I would even manage to say, hi, Chris. It was during his senior year talent show that we actually met. He and his friends lip-synced to a song by the Four Tops, Reach Out, and I was one of the screaming fans who ran down the aisle and onto the stage. I was thrilled when Chris and I started chatting together backstage. During summer break, Chris was a lifeguard at the Williamsburg Inn. Sometimes Chris would let the girls he knew into the pool. 
That summer after he graduated high school, I went swimming a few times with my friends, Nancy and Paula. They both knew about my crush on Chris, so they hatched a plan. After one of our trips to the pool, we would drive past Chris walking home. Then I was to get out of the car at the corner and tell him that they'd kicked me out and I needed a ride. For some reason, I actually went through with their plan, and it worked. <laughs> he gave me a ride home, and not long after, we started dating. Five years later, we were married. During my college days at William & Mary, I started working at the Williamsburg Theater in concessions and the box office. I continued to work there after graduation and as a newlywed. I also needed a full-time job, so I took a position with the Colonial Williamsburg Living History Museum as a costumed sales interpreter in the historic shops there. Working both jobs put me into overtime, and that went against Colonial Williamsburg's policy, so I had to quit my job at the theater. Quitting my position at the theater led me to another unexpected swerve in life. My husband, Chris, needed a job that would allow him to complete his master's in sociology. The assistant manager position opened up just as I was leaving, and I suggested to the manager that they interview my husband. Chris was hired, and all was good for a while. But one day, a young lady named Joanne started working at the theater. She and Chris got involved, fell in love, and my marriage to Chris was over. I was blessed with two sons during my marriage, but that meant I was now a single mother. I'd never imagined this happening to me. But as it is known to do, life carried on, and I settled into the ups and downs of being a single mom. Things were pretty good for 14 years, until the fall of 1987, when I was fired from my position as a manager with the historic stores after making a few too many mistakes. Another unexpected turn in life. I managed on food stamps while working two part-time jobs, one as a substitute teacher and one with a temp agency, all while searching for a full-time job. Looking back, I realize now that my low self-esteem and a feeling of panic took over. My desperation for full-time employment made me too hasty in my selection, and in 1988, I started as a secretary in a small office at a wooden pallet manufacturing plant in Tawano, Virginia. My new salary of $5.50 an hour meant that I was ineligible for food stamps. It was often hard to make ends meet. My sons were 10 and 8. I was 37. I worked in the small office at the plant five and a half days a week, alone with my boss, Pete. His wife, Roxy, did come in twice a week to help out and do the payroll. I really liked Roxy, and we became friends. She was the saving grace of the job, but it didn't take long before I absolutely hated being a secretary there. I did have a few interesting experiences, such as weighing tractor-trailer trucks and interacting with people of a different social class than I was used to. But overall, it was boring and not good for my future. By this time, due to Roxy's input, I was being paid $10 an hour, but I needed a job with benefits and more money. At another crossroads in life, I had to decide what was next. At the time, my friend Vivian was considering nursing school and suggested I join her. It was not a totally foreign idea to me since I had thought about going to nursing school and I was working at Colonial Williamsburg several years before, but at that point in my life, my sons were too young for me to tackle going to school. I talked with Vivian, and we decided we'd go together. I sent for information from the Riverside School of Nursing, 
And it turned out they had an evening and weekends program that would fit in with my work schedule. I sent in my application. In June of 1992, I took a part-time job at Williamsburg Community Hospital as a secretary on the East Wing, which is one of the medical surgical units. I thought it would be a good way to get a feel for a hospital, to become familiar with medical terminology, and to get a better understanding of what nurses do on a medical unit. I also wanted to get my foot in the door at that hospital because I wanted to work there once I became a registered nurse. So there I was, a mother of 12 and 14-year-old sons, working 50 hours a week at Sheldonwood Products and picking up hours at the hospital. The Riverside School of Nursing interviewed me in July and accepted my application. I was to begin classes in January of 1993. January 5th was my first day of nursing school. Vivian had decided to go to the day program, so I was on my own for nights. For months, I continued working my 50 hours at Sheldon while balancing the challenges of nursing school. On Tuesday and Thursday nights, I had class, and every other weekend, I had clinicals in Riverside Hospital. There were papers to write and group projects to present. By November of 1993, it all just got to be too much for me, and I resigned from my job at Williamsburg Community Hospital. My boss was kind enough to allow me to leave a bit early on class days, as my courses started at 6 p.m. and let out at 10. It took me about 30 minutes to drive to campus, so my son stayed at home or went to their dad's house. On those nights, dinner for them was often a casserole or hot pockets heated up in the microwave. On clinical weekends, my sons were with their dad. My family and friends supported me and encouraged me, but it was not an easy journey. It was hard and stressful and tiring. I graduated from nursing school on December 19th, 1995. On February 13th, 1996, I passed my NCLEX after answering only 75 questions. Pretty impressive, if I do say so myself. And with that, I was officially a registered nurse. On May 6th, 1996, I started working at Williamsburg Community Hospital on the East Wing. I was a medical surgical nurse for 18 years working the night shift, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. So the life I had planned as a young girl took many turns and had several ups and downs, and ultimately it turned out completely different than I ever imagined. I never pictured myself staying in Williamsburg the rest of my life, never thought I would become a single mother, and I never ever imagined that I would one day be a registered nurse. I've had a good life. It's not over yet. My life could still turn out differently than I've ever imagined. I'm Janine. You want my whole name is Janine Alice Whitney Riley, and these are my two sons. I'm Lewis Riley. I'm the youngest son, 41. The age is on. I'm Whitney Riley, the eldest son, age undisclosed. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all so much for being here with us today. Janine, we really love this story and are so excited to be able to talk with you and both of your boys. So how did your mom get started with StoryWorth, Lewis? Yes, yeah, so this was this was my idea, this whole thing. But when I heard about it, I thought, oh, this is a great idea because the hard part I felt like for getting these stories was figuring out what the questions would be or knowing the right questions to ask. So this kind of took that off of our plates. So we ended up sending story worth requests to mom on Mother's Day. I think we started it. Uh, Mother's Day, I think almost five years ago now. Mom uh, did a great job answering all the questions, 
what she's had a harder time with is finalizing her answers to all the questions. I have writer's block. Well, you've, you wrote them all out. It's just she likes to revise and revise and revise. And I must say that I think also Lewis got tired of me saying, oh, I should be writing down my history. Oh, I should be writing <laughs> about my life. Oh, I should do And he knew I'd never get around to it. So this helped. I'm so glad that it helped because I really love this story and admire how honest you are in your retelling. One of my favorite things about this story was how you included specific moments and characters that sort of guide you along your path. Like Roxy, for example, the wife of your boss at the manufacturing plant. Why do you think it was that she took such a particular interest in you? I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because I stood up to her husband one or a few times. They used to get in little arguments. She was actually a rather independent kind of woman. Why she took such a liking to me, I don't know. I'm just guessing. Maybe it's just nice having someone in the office with her. Well, and another woman in the office too. Another woman. So, you know, you bond because you're the only women there. Yeah. Yeah. We really did become good friends. She knew I wanted to leave. So I think she just kept trying to sort of bribe me into into staying. She'd bring me, and this sounds really silly, but at that time, Wendy's had really good French fries and she would bring me French fries on Thursdays when she'd come in to do the payroll. You know, bring me a soda and French fries. Yay. What was it about working at the plant that was so insufferable? It was just super boring. The excitement was weighing the log trucks. I do remember you telling me that that yeah. was an exciting And one time part. I got to weigh a, a horse. I wanted to have a, a job where I was valued and, and money. Money was a big one. I remember because I, I was pretty poor. And I remember when I did become a nurse, I can't remember now what pay was, but fellow nurses are all griping uh, about how much they were being paid. And, you know, we're not paid enough and I don't have enough money to do this or this or this. And I remember saying to them, I feel like a millionaire. I'm just like rich. And they would just, you know, but I came from a different background and, and I wanted something that gave some value to my life and that gave me enough money and someday I could retire. Now it's very impressive because I'm 41 and thinking, I wouldn't want to start a career right now. Ugh. Thank you. That's kind of you to say that. I mean, that's crazy. And to do it as night school too? I mean, absolutely forget it. And that's the comment Whit made when he read that story. You did say, Whit, that you didn't realize the effort and the time and the work and all that it took when it was happening. You said that was hard, Mom. Yeah. 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 Super hard. We're just teenagers dealing with our own stuff. What I thought was hard was me having to reheat the casseroles. I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, you're going to school at night and I'm angry about reheating casseroles. Okay. So speaking of being a nurse, your journey through nursing school is a big part of the story. And you share a good amount of detail about what your experience was like, but I'm curious what the experience was like for Lewis and Witt. Your mom specifically mentions Hot Pockets for dinner in her story, yeah, we could have some interesting stories about the things that I ate for dinner. <laughs> That's all I remember. Yeah, we love to circle back to that, in fact. Um, yeah, but I mean, what was it like for you guys at home when it was the two of you at home on, on night school nights? We did kind of just do our own things, but we did get creative with dinner choices. Because I remember some nights I would make nachos, which were, I don't know how I stayed so skinny. Because <laughs> those were the cheese wind. Remember, Cheese Whiz was your friend. Cheese Whiz went on everything. I did Cheese Whiz on everything. I don't know how I lived. Yes, the the Cheese Whiz (laughs) spaghetti. Mom made me eat it for my 40th, which is hilarious. It was all right. 
it was just like it congealed into like a mass that you would like cut <laughs> with your fork and it was gross but i man i ate it a lot there was no vegetables in any of these things oh no not not many vegetables. I mean, maybe there were corn chips Does those yeah count? i mean yes, i don't know, you know can be regular anyway i guess how would you describe your mom during the time she was in nursing school? What was living in her house like? So at the time, probably would have described her as, as very cool. We didn't have a lot of very strict rules. I feel like we had a good understanding and more or less mutual respect of the way things ought to be. I would not have ever thought you thought I was cool, but that's beside the point. Because well, I felt sure, like I fussed at you all the time. Yeah, well, and I was a punk teenager, right? But yes, you were. <laughs> like, literally, with, like, the side of my head shaved and the combat boots, all that. Now, looking back as an adult, I'm just, it amazes me what you accomplished, Mom. I do remember her being very busy, very busy, um, and very stressed. And I was I was the one who would <laughs> always be there because uh, I didn't have my license yet. So I wasn't I wasn't gone yet. So there were a lot of riding in the car, a lot of listening, a lot of agreeing that I did want a peach milkshake, even though I knew you really wanted a peach milkshake. And the only reason you're asking me is because you wanted one. But uh Mm, Hardy's had good ones, had little yes, pieces of peaches. Yes, peaches indeed. In it. Yes, indeed. We did that. I think I had a, a, a strong sense that you were you had a lot on your plate. It's such an act of vulnerability to share these details of your life. I mean, especially the hard and humbling parts. This story starts with you as a high schooler. If you could talk to that 16, 17-year-old version of yourself, what would you say? I'd probably say, don't get married. <laughs> Not because of whom I married or how that turned out. Right, I mean, you know. But um, I didn't... I see girls now and uh, I guess, I don't know, you know, you just feel like there were a lot of things like if I had, you can't help but wonder, okay, if I had stayed at North Carolina State University and followed that little train, how would life be different or what would it do? I mean, you always ask yourself those kind of things, right? But yeah, I think I, um, I think I would have tr somehow tried to develop confidence, a little more confidence in myself and realize that. I didn't have to get married. That wasn't the saving uh, grace. <laughs> that a lot of us, I really think a lot of girls thought that, then. you know, you, you needed to have a husband because that gave you your basis. I mean, I don't even know if we really, I mean, not my friends, most of my friends. I don't think we were thinking how girls seem to think now independently and thinking about themselves and what they can do with themselves. You know, I think the culture has definitely shifted quite a bit. Yeah, I think uh, give it a chance, stay where you are, and don't be so desperate to have a man, to get married. <laughs> What's the message or lesson that you want your kids, your grandkids, or your great-grandkids to take from reading the story? The message basically is things change, stuff happens to you, not always pleasant, and you just have to like regroup, shake yourself off. I mean, whatever it might be, maybe you're feeling sad or depressed and you can give into it for a while, but um, you've got to figure out some way to shake it off. Yeah, you may feel like, oh, golly gee, I wasted all my time doing this, or, you know, I always wanted to be this, well, now I can't be this. Well, what else can you do? What, what else, you know? And sometimes motivators money, which was probably in my case quite often. I'm going to ask your boys a similar question. 
What lesson or message did you take from reading this story? So I've got in my head these days, this idea that you can always turn it around. And I say that a lot about everything. <laughs> now you're going to get me out. Oh, <laughs> ready. Um, <laughs> so it is, it's, it's amazing. It, I could understand how you could have gotten real low and real beat down, but you didn't, you, you turned it around. And it, it really helps me when I encounter obstacles with my kids or family members or whatever, where you're like, oh, they're really going through it, but you can always turn it around. I just want to say this because it's amusing and I didn't put it in the story, but uh, I did get fired from my Colonial Williamsburg job. Getting fired was the scariest of all of the things that have happened to me. That was the scariest, but we made it. All obstacles can be overcome and the power of determination. It's, I'm impressed to hear that you never considered quitting. That's awesome. Well, I couldn't. Well, how could I have? What do you boys admire most about your mom? Yeah, I think uh, I admire my mother's honesty. Sometimes more. Sometimes it's more than I, I want. You know, she can dial it back. <laughs> right. I think that was my conflicting pause as well. It's like <laughs> honesty is great, but also. Hmm. <laughs> now you're talking about the present now, huh? Yes. But, and then also, I think. Um, I admire, you're honest, but you also feel your feelings. Which I know is difficult for you guys plenty of times. And that's once again, because I don't lie well. I am who I am. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to get started writing your life stories or want to give the gift of StoryWorth to a loved one, head over to storyworth.com slash podcast. In our next episode... If you like dangerous sports, you'd have loved playing cards with my great aunt Susie. I was a tough teenager years ago, tough in a suburban sense. I thought getting on the bus at one stop and subsequently getting off at the next stop was cool. It seems to take having a lot of life slip away before I realized how much more meaning and enjoyment the simple things in life bring. A very special multi-story season finale. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share an episode with a friend. It makes a huge difference and we would truly appreciate it. StoryWorth is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, hosted by me, Krista Baum, and produced by Hannah Ray Leach. We get production help from Jill Granberg and our mix engineer is Eric Coltnow. We'll see you next time.